Hi, and um, welcome to this further instalment of Bristow's Data Protection Top 10. I'm Alex Keenleyside, and with my colleague Toby Hedden, we're going to talk about group actions in relation to data breaches. So, Toby, I think you're going to kick off. Do you want to talk to us about what the options are for data breach related group actions in this jurisdiction? Thanks, Alex. Yes. So there are two main alternative routes that can be used to bring group litigation, which is sometimes referred to as class actions uh, for data breaches in the English courts. The first route is known as a representative action. And in a representative action, one or more individuals bring the claim acting in a representative capacity for a broader defined class of claimants. All of the members within this defined class must have the same interest in the claim, which essentially means that they share a common interest, a common grievance, and the remedy sought must be beneficial to each of them. Uh, the members of the defined class are not actually required to opt into the proceedings in order to join the action, and that actually makes it an attractive option for claimant law firms and funders in cases where there are a large number of potential claimants, and of course data breaches are a good example of that. Thanks Toby, and are we seeing these kind of representative claims being brought for data breaches? Well, I think it's fair to say that there is presently some uncertainty around the viability of bringing representative actions in relation to data breaches, or at least understanding what the ground rules are for them. Um, in October last year, an individual, Richard Atkinson, brought a representative action against Equifax for a data breach that they'd suffered in 2017. It had an estimated class size of about 15 million people, and Mr Atkinson sought damages only for loss of control of his data. So he wasn't claiming financial loss or loss for distress. But in this case, Mr Atkinson swiftly withdrew his claim once the defence was filed. So that didn't really take us any further. More recently, uh, there's been another representative claim issued against Google, this time in relation to YouTube, with the representative claimant alleging breaches by YouTube of the privacy and data rights of the under 13s. And that's obviously one that we'll be keeping a close eye on. Um, more generally, we're hopeful that some of the uncertainties around the viability of representative actions for data breaches will be addressed in the pending Lloyd and Google case before the Supreme Court. Um, Alex, I know you're going to talk about that case, so I'll refrain from stealing your thunder here on that. Um, Thanks, Toby. So so that's representative actions. I think you said there were two routes. What, what's the second one? Of course, Alex. Yeah, the second route involves what's called a group litigation order or sometimes referred to as a GLO for short. Now, where different claims give rise to common or related issues of law or fact, which is notably a lower bar than a claimant having the same interest in the representative action route, the court has a discretion to grant a GLO, which enables the management of those different claims to be coordinated by the court. Uh, and in contrast with a representative action where claimants are automatically included if they fall within the defined class, the potential claimants under a GLO are required to opt into the proceedings by making a claim. And are we seeing GLOs being made for data breach claims? In short, Yes, we are. So in October last year, the High Court granted a GLO permitting British Airways customers to join an action being brought against BA in respect of a cyber attack on BA's systems in 2018. And that case is still ongoing. Uh, and in April this year as well, the Supreme Court decided and appeared in a case involving data breach claims by employees of Morrison's bought under a GLO. Uh, and as an aside, actually, in that case, the Supreme Court decided that Morrison's was not vicariously liable 
the acts of a rogue employee who had intentionally disclosed employee payroll data as those weren't acts within their usual field of activities that had been entrusted to him by Morrison's as his employer. But that's probably not to say that an employer could never be vicariously liable for a data breach by an employee if on the facts it was done in the course of their employment. So vicarious liability, I think, for data breaches remains a potential risk for uh, employers and insurers alike. Thanks, Toby. So, so that's representative actions and GLOs. Are, are there any other options for claimants? Well, they are the two main routes to bring an action for a data breach, um, but they don't have to be adopted. Another possibility is that the court can exercise its case management powers to allow cases to be brought or consolidated in the same set of proceedings in order to dispose of them justly and conveniently under the usual court rules. And do we have any sense of the value of these group actions? I mean, how much, you know, what's the quantum? What, what, what damages are going to be awarded? Well, that is a very good question. At the moment, it remains to be seen whether any of the group actions that I've alluded to um, will result in significant compensation being awarded. Um, we're still really, it's fair to say, an early stage in the evolution of these group actions. And so there's much which remains uncertain, in particular, around the quantification of damages. But as I mentioned before, I think the outcome of the appeal in the Supreme Court case of Lloyd and Google could be very helpful in establishing some, some of the ground rules for this. Um, in fact, Alex, actually, it's probably a good moment for me to hand over to you to talk uh, about the Lloyd and Google case. Can you just um, pick up on that for us? Thanks, Toby. Yeah. So um, you've mentioned the Lloyd and Google case a couple of times. Um, it's a it's a representative action. So it's the first of your of your different routes that you've referred to. It's a representative claim brought by somebody called Mr. Lloyd, who alleges that in, in or around 2011, Google unlawfully tracked iPhone users' browsing activity through its double-click cookie technology. Um, Mr. Lloyd seeking to bring a claim, as I say, as a representative action on behalf of what he says are the 4.4 million iPhone users who were affected by Google's actions at that time. He's the claims backed by litigation funding and AT insurance, and he's seeking damages of well, it's estimated to be between one and three billion pounds, with the idea being that that sum would be distributed evenly, i.e. on a sort of uniform sum basis to the affected individuals. And so what stage is the case at at the moment? <laughs> well, uh, notwithstanding all the coverage, at least in the legal press uh, that this case has generated, we're actually still just at the permission to serve out stage. So because Google's a US company, Mr Lloyd needed the court's permission to serve the proceedings out of the jurisdiction. And at first instance, the court refused that permission. So Mr Lloyd appealed and that's why it went to the Court of Appeal. And what were the issues that the Court of Appeal had to grapple with? Uh, there were three. So um, first of all, whether a claimant has to prove financial loss or distress in order to obtain compensation under data protection law, which in this case was the or is the uh, pre-GDPR legislative framework. Um, second, do, do the 4.4 million affected individuals who make up the class all have the necessary same interest, as you were talking about earlier, Toby, that's the test, um, to permit a representative claim under the rules? And, and third, should the judge at first instance, who is Mr Justice Warby, have exercised his discretion to allow the representative action to proceed? Okay. Do, do you want to talk us through what the Court of Appeal decided on each issue? Yeah, sure, I'll do that. So um, on the first issue, that's whether a claimant has to prove financial loss or distress in order to obtain, obtain compensation, 
the court drew on the decision in Galati, which is the phone hacking case, mainly primarily a privacy claim. And the court decided that where a breach of data protection law results in a data subject losing control or autonomy over their personal data, they are entitled to compensation, irrespective of whether they'd suffered any pecuniary loss or distress. Since a person's control over their data has an economic value, the loss of that control must also have a value. Um, on the second issue, which is whether the 4.4 million affected individuals who make up the class all have the same interest, um, the court again disagreed with Mr Justice Warby. Uh, they found that the alleged wrong um, was the same for all affected individuals. And because nobody in the class was seeking compensation for financial loss or distress, they were claiming the same loss, i.e. the loss of control over their data. And on the third issue, whether the judge should have um, exercised his discretion to allow the representative action to proceed, the court again found in Mr Lloyd's favour. Um, they, they, they thought that Mr Justice Warby's description of the intended representative action as officious litigation of primary benefit to lawyers and funders was, was wrong. And they decided that if the allegations against Google are ultimately proved, then the claim quite properly seeks to hold Google to account. So that sounds like bad news for Google and presumably for all data controllers. Well, we don't know yet. So Google appealed um, the course of appeals decision and, and that and the Supreme Court will be hearing that appeal in the next few months. Um, you're right that upholding the court of appeals decision, if that's what the Supreme Court does, would have far reaching implications for data controllers. It would mean that data subjects could bring claims merely for loss of control over their data and on a sort of US style class action opt out basis with potentially huge financial consequences for, for controllers. And the majority, you know, let's not forget the majority of data controllers don't have the deep pockets that Google has. And one can see scenarios where companies would be brought to their knees as a result of these sorts of actions. So that's one of the reasons why the Supreme Court will undoubtedly reflect very carefully on the implications of its decision. It has um, far reaching consequences for for, for data controllers. I can see that. Look, thanks, Alex. Um, we've spoken quite a lot now, so it's probably time for us to say goodbye. Thanks, everybody, very much for listening. And do have a look at the other episodes. And don't forget to download the Data Protection Top 10 if you haven't already.